You're listening to Becoming Fully Alive, hosted by Church of the Ascension in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm Billy Daniel. And I'm Caroline Vogel. So we're talking about the last four chapters of the Gospel of Luke today. Oh, we've come to the end. We have come to the end, and and it's a it's a really good end. And it's never really the end. Maybe it's just the beginning. Probably so. Spiritus Knox is a center for spiritual practice and learning. We set up a rhythm of Sunday evening offerings all at 5 p.m. The first Sunday of the month is our book study. Second Sunday, breathing under the stained glass. Third Sunday, our monthly Celtic service. And fourth Sunday is Tools of Aliveness. You can learn more about all of these offerings at our website, spiritusnox.com. So we're diving into the last four chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Oh, we're going to be done with Luke? I don't, I'm not really ready to be done with Luke. I, I mean, Luke might be ready to be done with me. <laughs> probably so, probably so, but done with both of us. So chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, yeah? That's what I read. Okay, good. So I'm going to jump in first. Oh, please do. And I have a theme, mm-hmm. and... What would what would this podcast be like if you didn't have a if theme? If I didn't have a theme, sure. And, um, and then I have another little note that I want to bring up. So, <laughs> so just jumping in. So um, the theme I was thinking about in a couple of different places, and, and it really occurs all over the Gospel of Luke, as we found, but I'll, I'll try to keep it more towards these chapters that we're focused on today, is God's provision. Provision? Yes. Hmm. So, there's three little places I want to read and then weave together. So, first I'm in chapter 21, uh, verse 14 and 15. Therefore, put it into your hearts not to rehearse your defense in advance, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of those persecuting you will be able to oppose or contradict. So here's Jesus saying very clearly, don't come up with the words ahead of time. Yeah, I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom. I think that mouth part is is funny, but but I I will give you words and wisdom. Um, and, and he's saying, and they're going to be so good that none of those persecuting you will be able to oppose or contradict. So that's one little piece. Yeah. And now I'm turning into chapter 22 to, okay, so this is, I'm going to go down to, uh, verse 35, but what's happening here is that Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're actually going to deny me three times, um, And then Jesus, right after that, he turns to the disciples and he said to them, when I sent you out, so he was talking about when he sent them out in pairs. Right. Right? The 72. The 72. When I sent you out without purse and leather pouch and sandals, were you in want of anything? And Hmm. they said, of nothing. Hmm. So that's an interesting place of, 
a place where I think oftentimes we think we need provision, and Jesus is saying, you think you need all these things, and and you actually don't. And then he's like, um, you know, testing the data points. And he's like, so looking back on that example, Mm -hmm. did you need anything? And they're like, no, we didn't need anything. Okay, so then this last... This last little piece I want to braid in is actually where God provides for Jesus. Mm. Down in verse 42, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Yet let not my will, but yours come to pass. And then it says, and an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Huh. So it wasn't just a yes or a no, like take the cup or yeah. don't take the cup. I really experienced God's providing for Jesus in this tortured moment, mm. right? So even Jesus was like, I'd prefer if you did it this way. Right. And I'm willing to submit to your will. And then, Je- then God meets Jesus in God's will. He sends this angel, and the angel helps to strengthen Jesus so that he can endure God's will. And so these are just three examples of many examples in the Gospel of Luke where I'm just thinking about God's provision. And in all three of these instances, I mean, these are pretty scary situations. These are truly trying moments right? Yeah. Um, and these are not, he, he's not saying, hey, on a good day, I'm going to provide for you. Mm-hmm. He's saying there's going to be some really hard days. And in the really hard days, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Yeah. And I find, I find just a tremendous amount of hope in that. And, and in my own daily life, I can really forget that, you know, maybe God is sending an angel. Maybe there is something Mm. that's helping to strengthen me. Or, you know, a situation or a conversation I find myself in, I forget to lean on um, the truth and the wisdom that that Jesus is providing all the time. Yeah. I'm curious about the relationship between a couple of the passages that you just read one being, I will give you a mouth and and a voice, and which I, I just... A mouth and wisdom. A mouth and wisdom. Thank you. And, and then when Jesus is praying and he's strengthened by the angel, Luke says he prays more fervently. Yes. And, and being in anguish... He prayed more fervently, and his sweat became drops, like drops of blood falling to the earth. And, and it's hard not to see these together. So Jesus is going to give his disciples what they need, and praying to the Father, Jesus receives um, this strengthening but it's the strengthening to pray more fervently. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which mm. Jesus himself is receiving the strengthening of a mouth and wisdom. 
Yes. And isn't it interesting that I so appreciate you pulling in this part of what he does with that strength. Um, he's still in anguish, mm-hmm. and he uses that strength though to pray more, for, to orient even closer, more um, with more energy, with more um, singleness of heart. Yeah, to God. And it's hard not to think that it's it's not as though we learn that he's suddenly giving in. Or, so Jesus prays, your will be done. And and the strengthening doesn't at least immediately seem to be slipping into, suddenly Jesus realizes that the cup isn't going to pass. It, it seems more, rather, that the strengthening is he's praying even more fervently that it does pass. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay, I hadn't I hadn't interpreted it that way, but I could see how someone could. I well, could he was going to need a lot of strength. <laughs> he was going to need a lot of strength. Yeah, and whatever he was praying for, he was going to need a lot of strength, and God knew it. <laughs> well, and and I don't. I'm I'm always aware that these passages in Scripture can be read in multiple ways, mm-hmm. and so that's certainly not the only way, but. As I was thinking about Jesus being strengthened by the angel and then uh, Luke telling us that he prayed more fervently. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard not to think that he prayed more fervently about what he was already praying about. Yeah. No, I, I know. I, I totally see what you're saying. And I had always just thought of it the opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... And it may be both. Well, it probably is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Both at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think it does highlight, and, and, and you were just reflecting on this in your own experience, I think it does highlight that doing God's will is often met with anguish mm-hmm. and somehow God always comes through for us. Yes, right. Right. And I, I like the, the middle passage that I shared about um, when he's talking about how Peter, actually, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. <laughs> and, and then immediately he follows that up by turning to them, to all of them, not just Peter, and says, when I sent you out without purse and leather <clears throat> pouch and sandals, Were you in want of anything? And I think this is such a good practice for ourselves as well to to look back on our own lives and say, when has God shown up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when are the times that I've slipped through the eye of the needle? Oh, I've done that before, actually, Mm -hmm. by the grace of God and the breath of the Spirit. The Spirit just slipped me right through. And, And I think... That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples of, of, of showing them, reminding them. And don't we all need reminded? Because we oftentimes get to places and think, I've never been here before. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jesus is saying, well, you maybe have not been in this exact situation before. And yet at the root of it, yeah, you've been here before. And, and Jesus is saying, 
I remember this quite well, actually. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and and maybe more importantly, not only have you been here before, have I been here before, but Jesus is saying, we've been yeah. here before. Yeah. Exactly. I I have met you before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that that is what I think Peter sees after he's denied Jesus the third time. Because Luke tells us that Jesus looked at Peter mm. and then Peter realized. Mm-hmm. And and something tells me, and I'm I'm completely confident in this, that when Jesus looks at Peter, it's it's with deep compassionate eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. And you know, Jesus Jesus knew it was coming. Yeah. Peter denies Jesus the third time and Jesus looks at Peter and in a kind of reassuring way, I think. Mm. Maybe like the prodigal father. Yeah, I think that's a good connection to make there so that Peter knows it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay, Peter. Yeah. I'm going to be with you even in this. Yeah. I am with you. I am with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that kind of reminds me too, this, this part about Jesus. And, and I think one of the reasons I'm so taken with the real, the, the real embodiment of his humanity, I think it, it, it so embodies something that all people experience at some point in their lives um, if they're awake, at least, mm-hmm. is is this desire for this cup? Does your will take this cup away from me? And you know, if you think about it, I mean, so oftentimes we get so grounded in Jesus' divinity, yeah, that we don't think of him asking a question like this of the mm-hmm. Father, right? Sure. Um, I think oftentimes I kind of live alongside of a Jesus who's much more divine than human. And, and, and so this wouldn't be a question, but it provides tremendous empathy for my own lived experience. And, and so many people who I've journeyed alongside when we can really um, take comfort in Jesus lived experience and, and his own suffering and his desire um, for things to be different than they are. Yeah. And so, you know, in a way, he is embodying uh, the parable uh, of, the, of the widow. And when he was saying, pray without ceasing. Yeah. That he, that's what he's doing right here. He is praying without ceasing. And then he gets strengthened and it gets bumped up a notch. It's just even more fervently. And he's adding, you know, without seizing with fervor. Yeah, there's a, a lot of intensity. A lot. And it's, and it's a, another reminder that I think it's safe to say in all of the parables in one form or another, they, they are biographical. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is telling these parables not just so that people learn and and learn what to do but it 
It is biographical so that they come closer and closer to who Jesus is and how they ought to be or who they are to be. And and I, and I think that that sense of praying constantly, I mean, that's something Christians have held on to for hundreds ever since day one, thousands of years. Not only does Jesus call us to it, not only does Jesus make avenues for us to embody it, but but he's doing it constantly. And and I think just like you, I'm so much more comfortable with the um with the Christ side of Jesus instead of the Jesus side of Jesus, as it were, the divinity instead of the humanity. And and I think it's because there's so much about our human lives that are just vulnerable mm-hmm. and and some days are just long and and sometimes I'm tired and so I I want the Jesus who doesn't get tired to to reassure me that there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be tired right and yet I think we miss out on Jesus being tired, Jesus being in anguish, Jesus not getting what Jesus wants. Mm -hmm. That enables us to experience that solidarity with God even more deeply. Right. Yeah, that's why I think passages like this are so important Mm. to drill down in and and to really spend time with um, because I do think it broadens um, and deepens our own relationship with Jesus For in a sure. way that so many passages don't. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Yeah. Okay, so the one other piece I want to share mm-hmm. is, okay, it's in chapter 24, verse 10, 11, 12. Now it was the Magdalene woman, Mary, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, as well as the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And in their eyes, these reports seemed like nonsense, and they did not believe them. Then Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes laid out by themselves. And he left, amazed within himself at what had happened. I mm. love this. <laughs> I love this so, so, so much. And, and the reason why I love it is because, is because, well, first of all, it's talking about the women. And, <laughs> and they have, you know, they've had this really deeply spiritual, amazing experience at the tomb, and they're coming back to tell all their buddies all about it. And what are they met with? In their eyes, these reports seemed like nonsense. And, <laughs> you know, I, I did get a good chuckle. I always get a good chuckle when I read this, which is better than throwing things. Because so oftentimes, when women have something to say, mm-hmm. historically, I'm, I'm listening. Historically, it's been seen as nonsense. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. Just to leave that commentary right there with, hmm. <laughs> and, and, and they're not believed. Yeah. 
And, and what I love though is, I mean, they, they share it anyway, obviously. And they probably knew this is exactly what was going to happen. They say it anyway, but then what happens next? I love. Then Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Like something in him was like, Hmm, wait a minute. What if they're onto something? Hmm. Right? Like I better go check it out at least for myself. Yeah. And, and so he goes and stooping down, he saw the linen cloth laid out by themselves and he left amazed with himself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> amazed within himself at what had happened. And, you know, I think this happens a lot with spiritual experience is that we need to have the courage to share mm-hmm. what our experiences are with the divine. And knowing that some people may be like, what in the world? What in the world are you talking about? Like, that is total, utter nonsense. And trusting that, you know, it's really not up to us. I mean, the Spirit nudged Peter. Peter got up and went to see for himself. And that was not Magdalene's work. That was not Joanna's work. That was not Mary, the mother of James. Mm -hmm. That was the Spirit's work. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I just delight in that passage and I couldn't I couldn't not talk about it. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yes, okay, I'm gonna end there. All right, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, there is so much going on and it was really hard to land somewhere. I do think there's there's one particular passage that I think I just I I kind of want to wrestle with. Okay. And what is that one? So I want to make a maybe an unexpected connection with a couple of the passages. One of them happens during uh the crucifixion and when Jesus is brought before Pilate and Herod and the people are demanding that that Jesus be crucified. And, and there was something just about the language of all this, given how um, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, mm-hmm. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's this constant theme of listening mm. throughout Luke's gospel. Yes. And, and for those who have ears to listen and then to do something about it, not just to kind of hear it and go, oh, that was lovely. But to actually become the people that Jesus is calling us to be. And then when Jesus is bought, brought to trial, there's that line, it's in uh, chapter 23, and, and right around verse 19 and 20, Pilate is telling the people, so hey, I've I've explored this in and out. He's done nothing worthy of being crucified. There's no reason that we should do this to him. And and then and he says, "What evil has this man done?" And and the people insisted, says Luke, with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And then says Luke in verse 23, "And their voices prevailed." Mm. And then Pilate decided that what they had demanded would happen. 
and he released the man thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But Jesus, he delivered over to their will. Hmm. The most immediate contrast is, you know, Jesus constantly saying, you know, listen, Mm -hmm. listen, you need to listen Mm -hmm. to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then we learn that uh, Pilate was only listening to the mob. Yeah. And we have this pretty stark contrast and it's, and I think it exposes our daily struggle um, sort of a, a daily spiritual discernment just to ask myself, who am I listening to here? You know, who, who's, who's really bending my ear when I'm making decisions, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and Pilate is obviously trying to keep the peace. He's trying to maintain civility. And the most efficient way to do that appears to be to crucify Jesus. And, and their voices prevailed. And Luke says, he, Jesus was delivered over to their will. Mm-hmm. And again, is that God's will? It's, it's their will. And so it's, you know, I come back to you, talked about Jesus praying in the garden and and trying to discern is this the father's will you know is this really what you want mm-hmm. and not exactly getting an answer being strengthened mm-hmm. but not getting an answer mm-hmm. that we know of and and then that the people's will prevailed and so it's it's tricky what was this god's will was this the will of the people? Was this some combination of both? Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about that. I'm really curious about that. And, and the thing I want to connect it with is the, in, in the last chapter of Luke's Gospel, in chapter 24, we have that beautiful scene of the Emmaus Road. Yes. And... Because I've been reading some other things, um, one among them is uh, Stephen Buhner's The Secret Life of Plants, and he gets into all manner of things, but he he talks a lot about the heart and the parasympathetic and sympathetic uh, sides of the nervous system and and how our body responds to things based on uh, habits of life, what we're paying attention to and in this encounter with the disciples on the Emmaus road it's a familiar story we know that the disciples don't recognize Jesus on the road and the way that that Luke describes it is that as they were walking and debating so mm-hmm. they're having an argument mm-hmm. they're trying to figure all this stuff out right put all the pieces together put all the pieces together Jesus approached them journeys with them And Luke says in verse 16 of chapter 24, but their eyes were constrained so as not to recognize him. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Buhner talks about in his book 
is that when we're trying to analyze things, our pupils actually constrict Hmm. and we lose peripheral vision. And at the same time, our heart beats more quickly. Right. And we feel like it's a fight or flight moment. Yes. So our body, when we're having these analytical argumentative um, encounters, our body feels like I've got to go. Yep. Or totally. I've got to, I have got to fend for myself here. Mm-hmm. Or you freeze. Or you freeze. Mm-hmm. Or you freeze. And it's interesting to think about Luke's description here, and, and Luke being a physician may have woven some of what he knew into this, um, probably more intuition than anything else. But the sense of their eyes being constrained and so as not to recognize him. And, and then at the, towards the bottom, uh, towards the end of 24 in verse 25, where Jesus responds, mm-hmm. or I guess it's in the middle, where Jesus responds, You fools, why are your hearts so slow to believe? Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus says, you're trying to figure all this stuff out. It's been there the whole time. I talked about this when I was with you. This is no secret. This is not something to be analyzed in the way that we argue about things. And that's why your hearts are so slow to believe. Mm. You're trying to figure out how this could have happened in your analytical mind. In your analytical mind. With your constricted eyes. And because you're trying to figure out how could how could he possibly have died? How could this we thought he was the one? How could this happen? So they're trying to figure that out, and because they're trying to figure that out, they missed the resurrection. Right. Well, not completely. Not completely. They come around. Well, Jesus brings them around. I Jesus think. brings them around. They had they had a special encounter, and and their eyes are opened, but they're opened when they're breaking bread. Yeah. And when we are looking upon something like bread, we and we smell the bread. We experience those parasympathetic responses, Mm. which is rest and ease. And in that restful state, all of our other senses being charged, we see more and our heartbeat slows down and we experience more of what's actually happening in front of us. And for the disciples... That was Jesus. Mm -hmm. They finally saw him. And that saw them when they were able to rest and set aside the arguments and the analysis. Mm -hmm. And they were able then to believe. So I want to come back to the crowds. Okay, can I just jump in here and say one thing? Oh, please do. Well, just to tack on to what you're saying, because I think it's just it's just the next step. It says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Mm-hmm. And then this part. And they said to one another, 
was not our heart burning within us while he spoke to us on the road as he opened up the scriptures to us, mm. right? So they had the breaking of the bread. They, they see him, mm-hmm. and that parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, and then they're able to connect with their hearts and go, mm. oh, I was feeling yeah, I was feeling that burning when he was talking to me, but I was so constricted, mm-hmm. I couldn't put my attention there. Yeah. Right? And we do this in life. We stay in the constricted place, like you were saying just in our last podcast, that we stay, um, we, we hold on to life. And it's, it's so hard to go into that place of rest and really open and allow ourselves to realize that their hearts were burning all along. Yeah. Yeah. Burning. Yeah. So I just, I so appreciate that the breaking of the bread and the opening of their eyes allowed the analysis to drop away Mm -hmm. and they were finally able to drop into their hearts. Yeah. And, and what I love too is it's not just that their hearts started burning then. There's the recognition that their hearts were burning were all along. Burning, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So. And, and that comes back to something you were saying earlier about being able to see it. Yeah. In the, not as it's happening necessarily, but I can go back and I can see and and recognize how God was at work, how the Spirit was moving, how Jesus was speaking. And so if we take this Emmaus Road experience and juxtapose that with the crowd and Pilate, the ones who are trying to exercise their will and crucify Jesus, I think it helps us see what constrains the heart mm-hmm. so that we don't see. And and that's an exercise of our own wills. That's um, listening to the mob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that trying to figure out. So again, Pilate's trying to figure out how to satisfy the mob as opposed to, in, in reality, trusting what he knew, which was, he hasn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And when we slip into that listening to all the voices around us, and when we slip into trying to analyze everything to the nth degree, and when we are trying to exercise our own will and get what we want, Mm -hmm. our hearts become hardened in such a way that we we lose all sense of vision, we lose our our spiritual perception, and we become constricted not only in our vision, not only with our heart, but we come we become constricted in our whole being. Right. And that's when we really do need Jesus to step in, yeah, right, and 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 bring bring us 
bring us into the light, which, which may happen with some breaking of bread and certainly good conversation and, and maybe what you identified in the burning of the hearts, maybe what would be good for all of us to do is when we feel our hearts burning and we know something good is happening in us and around us, maybe the best thing to do is stop trying to analyze whatever the situation might be and just sit with it. Mm -hmm. And not even try to figure out why is my heart burning, but let, let our hearts burn. Yeah. Savor the moment of, of that awakening and then wait for, wait for Jesus to break the bread of our hearts open wide so that we experience it all the more and see more clearly and be able to hear, to really listen. I think this, this may feel a little bit like a pivot, but it's not meant to be. Mm. I think that that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about people coming and joining us for like breathing under the stained glass. Mm. Because I think we all need places that feel safe to settle our hearts and to be with our own hearts and, and to breathe into our own hearts. Mm. Um, I think we hunger for that, especially in the world right now. Um, I mean, I think we've, we've yearned for it through all of time. And so, and you know, we don't have to do it alone, right? I mean, we can, we can be in community with our burning hearts and <laughs> our, <laughs> And our learning to be still and breathe, um, to be with, you know, whatever is is stirring within us. Yeah. And those small meditative spaces that we create together, when we do just breathe... I think it does open us to the many ways that our hearts really are right now burning. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, you know, all things lead back to grace for me, but that that definition of grace in the prayer book of, you know, the spirit strengthens our will to God's will, enlightens our minds and stirs our hearts. I mean, your heart being stirred is a form of grace. And mm. I think your heart burning is another way, and maybe it's like stirring on fire, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is that is that burning of the heart. And, and and it's meant to be paid attention to. I mean, it's grace. Yeah. And if we don't make space for it, if we don't allow ways in which we can we can truly honor it and be with it. it. We don't, we can't fully embody what God is giving us in that grace. Yeah. It really is constantly recognizing that this life in the spirit is to be lived into mm -hmm. and not, 
not figured out, just lived into. Right. And the, the awareness and understanding will come. We don't have to keep trying to, to reason it out so that it's understandable. And, and as you were just talking earlier about speaking about our experiences, mm -hmm. maybe what we simply need to do is name our experiences instead of trying so hard to make those experiences understandable. Say that again. Yeah, so often I think what might keep us from talking about our experiences with God, the movement of the Spirit, is that it might sound a little crazy. Mm -hmm. it, it might sound really peculiar and strange to people who, certainly those who haven't had any kind of encounter like that. And I think it's we, we shy away from it because we we know that giving it words without having had the experience is always going to come up short always yes it's part of it but we we want to try to help people figure it out or understand it through our words which is just not going to happen and it doesn't mean we don't need to or shouldn't feel like we can talk about it Right. Right. All right. Well, I cut you off a minute ago. Was there something else you were trying to tie in? If there is, I'm not sure what it would be. Oh, okay. Because I am off it, track. It dropped. It fell away. <laughs> the, or maybe you're not. The spirit has moved. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And I suspect that's plenty for people to chew on. I suspect that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we've covered a lot of ground. A lot of ground. And uh, these four chapters. And there and there's plenty of, of other things to discuss as well. So um, I hope everyone has really enjoyed uh, making their way through um, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, next week, we will do a, a bit of a wrap-up. A wrap-up. Will we have a wrap-up episode? Oh, gosh, I really hadn't gotten that far. Are we doing a wrap-up episode? Maybe we hit the highlights of Luke somehow. Okay, that sounds good. I think that'll be fun. I think that'll be really fun. Okay, good. So, so join us again for wrapping up Luke together. We invite you to join us here in Church of the Ascension in Knoxville every Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. for our regular services of worship, and especially at 9.15 a.m. for our formation hour. You don't want to miss the conversations we are having in the Gospel of Luke. And Spiritus Knox is continuing to have offerings as well on Sunday evenings. Join us this Sunday, November 13th at 5 p.m. for Breathing Under the Stained Glass. So we're moving indoors during the chillier months of the season. So bring your meditation cushions, your yoga mat, your lawn chairs, or you can sit in a pew. But we will breathe together in this lovely space by candlelight from 5 to 6 p.m. And then plan to be with us the following Sunday, November 20th at 5 p.m. for our monthly Celtic service. 
don't want to miss any of them. And remember, you can learn more about what's happening here in Church of the Ascension by going to our website at knoxvilleascension.org or visit spiritusknox.com for all of our Spiritus Knox offerings. Thank you.